Okay, good evening. Welcome to another Nefer Coaches Corner. Christmas is almost here. I've got the Christmas spirit and we've got a little early present for you in the form of a fantastic guest that we're going to spend the next 90 minutes with. I'm also joined, as always, by Nefer's Head of Academy, Spencer Fern. Spencer, good evening. How are you? Good evening, Ryan. I'm very well. And uh, after the stick you were given last to see it, I've pride of place in the office. Yeah, well, look, there it is. It's up there. It's work. I can. Can you confirm it's working as well, Spencer? It is working. Yeah. Uh, so you've also uh, you've had a trim as well, Ryan. Is that right? Yeah, I've had my haircut. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's right. Yeah, I only get my haircut ever so often, but I thought with Rob coming on tonight, I thought I'd make a bit of an extra effort. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. Good observation. I wondered where you're no, going. No, with that. No, I'm not one to comment on haircuts. I can't comment whether it's a good one or a bad one. You've got me there. Okay, well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the November Nefer Coaches Corner. Of course, we're delighted to be joined by the Wales Interim National Team Manager, Rob Page. Now, Rob's made over 500 league and international appearances, played in the Premier League, has been capped by his nation on 41 occasions, and, of course, captained them as well. His first role in management was at Port Vale before going to Northampton Town and then Nottingham Forest before he secured a job working for Wales, looking after the under-21s and the age groups directly below. Now, as interim manager for Wales, he's led his nation into the last 16 of the Euros, promoted to Division A of the Nations League, and Wales are now in the World Cup playoff semi-finals as they look to reach the finals for the first time since 1958. So, Rob, I think it's fair to say you've done a wonderful job so far, and we're all really looking forward to this evening. Now, Ryan, before we get into the questions, yeah. it's your favourite part of the month, isn't it? It's my favourite part of the webinar. I wouldn't say it's my favourite part of the entire month, but I see where you've gone with it. Yeah, it's right. It's the question. It's the question at the start to get everybody's juices flowing. Regular attendees will know I've been making this question harder Harder and harder each, each, every month. And tonight is no exception. So tonight, the question is, how many clubs did Rob play for during his career? Four, five, six, three, eight. I've mixed it up a bit there just to throw people. So have a go at answering that. If you want to have a go at naming the clubs as well, drop that in the chat box. Speaking of the chat box, bit of housekeeping. So many things we're going to speak about with Rob uh, tonight. And of course, you guys have got the opportunity to ask him a question as well. So if you want to ask Rob a question, please do get that question in the Q&A box, not the chat box, the Q&A box. Try and get it in as early as possible, and I will do my best to get through as many as possible. If you want to share your contact details, make a general comment on what you're hearing during the conversation, then please do that in the chat box as well. Share your LinkedIn address, your Twitter address, uh, any, anything that you like. Great to hear from all the different people from all over the world that are tuning in tonight. Um, okay, Spencer, do you want to have a go at answering the question? How many, how many people, how many clubs, how many clubs? It's a tough one this round, but I'm going to hazard a guess at six. Spot on, spot on. Again, it's not thrown together, is it, this webinar? It's not thrown, it's not together. thrown together, no. 
<laughs> nobody's nobody's had nobody's had a, an, an attempt an, an attempt at um, uh, answering uh, which clubs. But I'll just go through. I'll just go through the through the clubs um, off by heart, of course. Uh, Watford, Sheffield United, Cardiff, Coventry, Huddersfield Town, and Chesterfield. Great to see Chesterfield doing so well um, this season as well. Fantastic. Right. It's got the juices flowing. Everybody knows what the crack is. Spencer, let's get it going. Okay. Well, good evening, Rob. Welcome. Good evening, everybody. Nice to be a part of it. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Thanks very much, mate. So, um, can you tell us about your, your role with Wales and how that started, in particular, the work you did before taking on the role as the interim manager? Yeah, so you, you alluded to it earlier. I started off at Port Vale. I had a couple of good seasons there and, and was... Uh, Attracted by an offer to, to go to Northampton Town, and within six months, like you find in football, it didn't quite go my way. And I was I'd left my position in the January. I was lucky enough then, Spence, to go straight into Nottingham Forest to go in, into work again with Gary Brazil, who was who took over as caretaker manager. They just sacked the manager, and he was asked to take over as caretaker. Jack Lester, who I played with at Chesterfield, me and him struck up a good friendship relationship, and uh, and he went in with Gary and, and invited me to be a part of it. So. I went in there for a couple of months, and in the meantime, I was approached by the, the Football Association of Wales to to have a look at the the under 21s job and head of intermediates, which is at the time we had 17s, 19s, and 21s. And I think it was the perfect job for me at that moment in time. The stress that we were under at Northampton, and 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 it does get on top of you at the end of the day. It does, and uh, and, and to go into that role at Nottingham Forest, where I was back on the grass with the players. I wasn't dealing with the press. I wasn't having to manage up with the directors and the owners. And, and that was a big relief for me. I could just enjoy, fall back in love with football and the coaching side of it. And, and when this opportunity came up to coach the young players at Wales, I absolutely jumped on it. There was a lot of work to be done, but, um, but, but I absolutely loved the job. And, uh, and I thought it was a great opportunity to go in and, and start developing these young players, ones now that we're seeing come through the ranks and, and play in the first team. And how long have you been there now, Rob, working for Wales? Is it four-ish years, is it? Four years now, Spence, yeah, four years. It's gone really quick, you know, so, and, and then, you know, as circumstances have unfolded, I've ended up being up with the first team and I've, I've got a great relationship with not just the young players, but the senior players. I think we've got an unbelievable group of senior players. We'll go into more detail, no doubt, later on about this, but um, when you've got a good group of players like that that know you as much as you know them, then it, it breeds well for success. Brilliant, excellent. Uh, Rob, our paths actually crossed very briefly um, at, at Port Vale, um, where, you know, I think you, you touched on there some of the stresses of club management, which were, which were, definitely, which were definitely there um, at, at Vale for, for, for all of us. Now you're in international management, you know, what are the key managerial differences between that and, and, and club management and you know, really the different type of challenges you face and how do you overcome them? Yeah, good question. I mean, first and foremost, I always look out for Port Vale now. I think, you know, yep. without Port Vale football, I wouldn't be where I am today. Mm. A youth team coach, Mickey Adams was manager and I learned a tremendous amount from Mickey. You know, his experience, his wealth of experience that he had, how he managed games. And I had the best transition from playing to, to coaching because I had my own group of 16 players in the youth team every every day through the week and and then working with Mickey on a, on a Saturday um, 
was excellent watching, you know, why he made substitutions, the, the timings he made the substitutions, his team talks, how he managed his, his, his teams, held me in good stead then for future. I think the biggest difference is, right, for me is, is that when you're at a club environment, you can, I mean, a lot of football managers don't get the time and opportunity now to create a philosophy. No, it's about winning games of football. And if you lose six on the bounce, your job's in, in jeopardy. So it, it is hard to create that philosophy, but you've got more opportunities to do that than international football. You know, previously through COVID, we had to play three games for the TV rights as well. So one of them had to be a friendly. So some camps, we're having two days prep and then we're going into a game and then two qualifiers after it. So you've got no chance to, to create a philosophy or you, what you need to do is just get everybody in the building make sure they're all okay, tailor everybody's needs to their own sort of you know, needs and what, what they want to do on the Monday. Is it a second day recovery? Did they play Sunday? So are they completely off their feet? So at times you'd have three groups training on a Monday and that's not uncommon at any international level because, you, you, like I said, you've got, to, you've got to tailor it to everybody's needs. So that was the biggest, that's the biggest difficulty we have. You know, you have to flip the week around sometimes. So ideally, I like to start with a defending principles and then finish on a positive or attacking. This is why we're going to attack against teams. Previous, the last camp in particular, two of the most influential players that were going to start against uh, Belgium. We couldn't do the, the, um, the, the defending shape because that was the day, sorry, the attacking shape, because that was the day they wanted to be off their feet. So we had to flip it where we were the attacking side of it first on the Tuesday, then the defending side of it on the Wednesday getting ready for the game so you you just got to adapt as you go along and, and and it's having a group of players that each have individual needs and how to get them in the best frame of mind physically mentally to play that game on the weekend but just on that rob so when we're getting players coming from a variety of different clubs and you know different countries as well so what's the process there would the would the club do they send you reports or all the data from the previous you know couple of games and stuff like that is that kind of information shared with you in advance of a camp yeah, so we've got one of the best, in my opinion, sports scientists in Tony Strudwick. You know, he's, he's been at Man United for 20 years and he's now at Arsenal's academy and uh, he's first class. And, and uh, he'll be in contact with the clubs prior to the lads coming in. So we'll know exactly what loadings they've had coming into the camp. Have they played? How many minutes they've played? The analysts work tirelessly as well to give me that information beforehand because... It's difficult for Wales at times because we have a lot of young, talented footballers, but not too many of them playing top, top level football. So, for example, Joe Roden, he's probably one of the most gifted centre-backs I've ever worked with. And I've worked with him now for a few years to win the 21s all the way through the first team. But rightly so, Tottenham saw him as an investment um, and, and bought him from Swansea. But unfortunately, he's not played that many games. So great for him that he's eventually going to get the, the, the game time. But at this moment in time, I need him playing minutes you know, for us to benefit from that. So we're in contact with them. And then we have a list of players that we know, some are green that are playing cons consistently, others aren't. We have to factor that into the training week. You know, some might need a little bit more to top them up to get them ready for the game on Saturday. Um, that's where that third game, the friendly, did come, in, did, did come in handy because we could use that as top up. Certainly before the Euros, we used the, the France game. As, as an opportunity to get some of those players match fit going into the Euros because they weren't playing or been injured coming into camp. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's difficult at times, but, um, but like I said, you, you have a plan going into it. Um, and then the, the last two games, say the games on the Saturday, the Thursday and Friday, then everybody's together. We make sure that everybody's together on those two days. Just following on from Spencer's question there, um, 
obviously you would have seen in the news today, you know, Gareth got a big New England contract, you know, I think he's been credited as well of, you know, having a fantastic relationship with a lot of the, the feeder clubs into the national team um, as, as, as well. How would you assess the overall relationship that you've got with all the clubs? Because with, with, with Wales, you know, there's the, there's obviously the Real Madrid, not so Real Madrid as well in terms of where you're picking the players from. Um, you know, how do you manage that as well? And overall, how do you assess the relationship with all the clubs that you have to work with? Well, I, I don't do it personally, right? But it's it's really important. It is a big part of the game. We have to have that, those relationships with the with the clubs and the players. So I deal with the players, and then I've got a, a team of staff around me, the medical team, yeah. physios, doctors that will absolutely be in touch with the clubs, and rightly so. And and Strud, Tony Strudwick is, you know, he drives that as well. He makes sure that they understand that we're borrowing their players, and when they come with us, they're getting the absolute best possible care at their standards. Um, and like you said, you, you just alluded to it there. That some of them are coming from League One clubs. You know, Johnny Williams is at Swindon in League Two at this moment in time, but I see him as a massive part of, of not just what he brings on the field, but what he brings off it. And for Wales over recent years, that's been a big part of it. Fantastic. Team spirit, the camaraderie. Honestly, it's like nothing I've ever experienced at club level. This group of players are so special. Um, but the standards we set, irrespective of whether you're Real Madrid or Swindon Town in League Two, it's exactly the same. And they'll get the same tender love and care as... Johnny Williams will get the same as what Gareth Bale gets and Alan Ramsey at Juventus. Fantastic stuff. Uh, so the obviously the first team, uh, you know, qualify for the Euros and hopefully going to, to the World Cup as well, Rob. But you know, a bit further down at the age groups, the under 17s and the under 19s have qualified for the elite uh, rounds. You know, the competitions that they're playing in. Um, what you know, what do you think has changed in recent years to enable this to happen? I mean, obviously you've been there four years and then played a part in this. You know, what, what's been the big shift there? Yeah, the 19s qualified by winning the group for the first time ever. So that's a great achievement for them. The 17s qualified for the elites as well. The remit when I first took the job was we want both. We want to develop these young players through to the first team and we want to start qualifying for major tournaments, the, the intermediate groups. To do that, you're right, we have to invest a lot of time, effort, money um, into into the facilities. Um, at the time when Geraint was, was under-21s manager and I was his part-time coach going in, six, seven years ago. And that's when I had my first taste of international football. How he survived, I do not know. How he done the job on his own, I do not know. So the first thing for me when I, when I took the job was I needed assistance. I needed a full-time assistant. Because if we're asking these players to win games of football and qualify for elite groups and compete with the Hollands, the Portugals, the Switzerlands, the Englands of the world, yeah. then we need to get more time on the grass with them. So to do that, you need better facilities. To do that, you need more coaches. Because at the time, there was myself and Paul Bolden, who I took in with me straight away, who Ryan will know from, from Port Vale. I, I had him as my assistant there. And we can only get one team on grass. You know, maximum two teams on grass. Well, that's not good enough. If you want to implement the Welsh way and, and get the kids believing and knowing how the first team are going to work, you need to get more players on grass more often. And, uh, and I looked into Switzerland and I looked into Holland. And at the time, I'm going back to three years now, it was 50 hours in a calendar year that they would have on grass. Well, we were nowhere near that. We were nowhere near that. So how could we expect these kids to come in and just give them three days coaching, going into games and expect them to pick up everything we wanted them to do? It was impossible. So these training camps that we've put in place now, so sometimes we'll, we'll get the lads in an international camp without the game. More often than not, we'll get a game at the end of it, but it's not the most important thing for us. It's about having three, four days training where we can... Um, you know, get across how we want to play, our key principles with them without the ball. 
the Welsh way, so to speak. And uh, and it, and it's and we've reaped the rewards of it. You know, we, you look back at the first team now, and some of the some of the players there are still eligible to play for the under twenty ones. They're a young young team, so the future is really bright. You know, these these players are only going to get better in years to come. And with the the investment in facilities as well, so I think is it is it three training facilities that are used by the national team now? Yeah, so we've got Dragon Park in Newport, we've got um, Collier's Park in North Wales, and then we've got the main complex now where the first team train when we're at the Vale Resort yeah. in, in Hensel in South Wales, um, and that's second to none. You know, and and we still want to want to improve it. We still want to get a third pitch there, so we can have two or three times at uh, three three or two or three teams on camp at the same time. Um, there was one September, I'm going back maybe eight, you know, not, not this September, last September, where we had the under-21s with us, and it was like that club environment. You know, we had two teams training. We staggered the time so that they could watch our session, and then we went over and watched their session, and uh, and, and it does build that sort of club environment then. And, 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 there, Rod, sorry, sorry. All right. Yeah, no, I was going to say, Rob, you've obviously played for played for Wales and I was speaking to Spencer earlier on today you know it's not like Wales have never been without players you know Ian Rush Mark Hughes Neville Southall they've had great players and obviously uh, you know and you played as well didn't you Rob um, um, uh, that was that, come on that was I thought, you, you know what I mean 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 and then there was um, is that what you're saying <laughs> you, know, you were you were top you were top did, did, did you see when you were playing what were, where were you training? What were you doing? How often did you get to be together? Yeah, I mean, we, we literally got together. It was it was a social on a Saturday night, and then you'd you'd, you'd you know you'd get all together on a Sunday, um, and you'd train at, at half decent pitches. Mark Hughes was manager when I was when I was playing, and uh, in fact, I played with Spark. I played with Mark at the end, his last towards the end of his career, the last game at the Cardiff Arms Park. And then I played at the first game of the Millennium when he was manager and, and played for the first 15 games of his, wow. his managerial career for Wales. And, and, uh, and, and yeah, um, what was the question again? Right. Yeah, in terms of the facilities, in terms of like the things you were just talking about there, in terms of the structure and, you know, so versus, versus what you had. Facilities. We didn't have the facilities that we've got today, put it that way. Absolutely yeah, yeah. not. You know, we didn't have the gyms that the boys have got now. We didn't have... The, the pitches certainly weren't deso pitches that they've got today. So, you know, we, but we just got on with it. We just, that was it. That's all we knew. We didn't know anything other than the, the pitches that we trained on. They weren't horrendous, but yeah. they certainly weren't the standard that we've got today. Obviously, it's been a big investment by, uh, you know, the association as well, you know, to provide that, you know, well, hopefully a world-class standard, uh, which the players expect these days, don't they? Uh, they want the best facilities. Absolutely. We're missing the, uh, the 21s as well, Rob. So even though... The 21s, uh, from, from my knowledge, haven't got, reached the finals, but there's been a lot of success there, hasn't there, with the 21s? Because, I mean, how many players have come through into the senior squad, you know, during your time? God, I've lost count. I mean, you know, you, you, we had, I think we were playing in Bulgaria, and when we put the squad up on the, on the board, um, there was 11, I think, in the squad of 23 that we took that were still eligible to play for the under-21s. And that's the difficulty with the under-21s, and that's where we have to be a little bit more realistic in our approach. And and and, and when they show a, a glimpse of potential, then they're fast-tracked through the first team, and that's it. So the under-21s are weakened. In turn, don't get me wrong, they, they then go to the 19s and get the best of them. But the 90, from 19 up to first team, that's a big jump. You know, it's two years' development. They've still got in them before they get that level. 
But anybody in the 21s wants to show that potential. The Tyler Roberts of the world, the Daniel James, the Joe Rodens, the Joe Morell that's playing in midfield with Joe Allen against Belgium and that gives an absolute great account of himself. You know, these players are the ones that have come through and, and up until a couple of years back could still play for the 21s, but we were the first team. So the, the 21s are always going to find it find it difficult to, to qualify for major tournaments because we, we fast-track the best players. Um, so you just touched on it a few minutes ago in terms of feeling in the group now. You know, really, how do you go about actually creating that 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 culture? You know, I know from previous conversations that we've had, you've been a fan of sort of leadership groups and 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 things like that. But you know, what 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 what's your process to create the culture that's been so successful for you over the past year? Well. I think I've inherited this this culture, this group. I think we we did implement things four years ago from intermediate groups, of course, and the importance yeah. of playing for Wales and what, as a working class man, as a as a as a uh, my grandfather was with down the pits and what would they expect to see? What do they want from their team when they're in the stand watching? When they walk out at the end of the game, what would they be pleased having seen? And and that's important that they understand the culture because we've got a lot of dual nationality players. So for me, it's really important to understand what being Welsh is all about. If you're playing for Wales and you're wearing a dragon on your chest, mm. then you've got to understand what the supporters want. So that's that's really important for us. I think Chris Coleman has to take a lot of credit for that, for the culture. I think Chris is one of the nicest blokes I've met. He's down to earth. He's, he's very humble. And that comes across in his man management. And I think man management for him was first class. And I think the players bought into that. And the success that he had in 2016 and getting as far as they did in the tournament, credit to what he created in that environment, in that changing room. And I think that started it. I absolutely do. I think that was the start of it all. And then financially, the rewards that we got from that, right? Give us the opportunity to invest then into the grassroots, into the, into the facilities, into the buildings, which has enabled us then to get the players in for more than 50 hours every year. And, you know, it, it's no coincidence then that you're seeing this influx of young talent coming in for Wales. And it sounds like the, the leadership group, Rob. So did you have like so many like senior players that, that you work with or yeah. uh, to lead that process? I've always liked that. Even in club management, Spence, I've always been a believer of it can't always be the manager, the same voice. You know, it can't always be the manager making those decisions. Show the players respect. You know, it's their club as well. It's their team, you know. So, yes, you'll have a captain, but you can't put it all on him. So I tried to get a, like a committee, I used to call it, a leadership group. And when you've got a great group of senior players that we've got with Wales. Um, it's easy to manage. Honestly, I just I just dip in every now and again. And if there's something I'm not sure about um, with regards to a player being late or, or, or something like that, inevitably they'll get them up singing a song anyway. So they, they just they just manage that themselves. <laughs> but well you've got Gareth Bale, Alan Ramsey, Joe yeah. Allen, first class professional, Chris yeah. Gunter. Chris Gunter turns up every camp. He's not guaranteed he's going to play. He's a first class pro. He trains because his life depends on it. So these younger players coming up, the senior players now know that they've got somebody snapping up their heels. They want their jersey. And the younger players know that if they step foot out of line, these senior lads are going to have you. Yeah. Ben Davis, playing for, in Tottenham's first team at the minute, playing left side of three. Again, yeah. he's one of the in-betweens. He's not quite the senior lad and he's not a young one. But again, first-class professional. Danny Ward, Wayne Hennessy, since I made that decision at the start of the Euros and, and played Wardy, Wayne's reaction has been first class. I can't speak highly enough of him. You know, he, he wants the best for the team. It's not all about himself. He hasn't sulked for one minute. He's just got on with his work. And when you've got a group, group of players out at the changing room, 
than half make a job easier as a manager. I bet Chris Gunter's going to turn up when he's not in the squad, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> He'll still turn up, and I won't turn him away. He put his kit on and trained with us. So right, um, I, I think he's, he's he's over 100 caps now, isn't he? Well, again, I was I was really proud to be a part of that. Yeah, so he's he's got his hundred caps. Bayo's just got his hundredth yeah. cap uh, against Belarus. So on the Saturday, which was a great occasion for him, you know, I put I put Wayne on as well. I think to get his ninety eighth late on in the game against Belarus, which was nice to do. I had it in the back of my mind, and I thought, you know, if we're if we're a couple of goals to the good, then then I'll get him because I want to get players that are the hundred caps and they deserve all the audits they they get, you know. Yeah, and, and I think that builds into. Because I think that look, I think if you could you could go to any club yeah in, in, in the country and there'd be something on the website or there'd be some sort of interview that talks about culture. And you know, it's been very buzzy, hasn't it, the last sort of five, ten years about that. But very few actually really sort of embed it into the in, into the fabric. But you know, I totally agree. You've got to you've got to live it and there's got to be some examples of it as well. And such a great moment for Wales to have, you know. Players, like like you mentioned, like your your Bales and your, and, and your Ramses, you know, living it at, at, at the very at the very top level. The, the, other, the other lads must must be absolutely buzzing off it. And, and and as you mentioned, what a great reference point for those lads. Absolutely, yeah. And and you know, the humble guys. There's no egos in that changing room. They, they, there's no egos there at all. And, and I, I pulled Bailo the last the last camp and I had a good chat with him because he was he wasn't involved in the second game, so we had a little bit of downtime and, and I was having a good chat with him. And, and it was probably the first time I took a step back and, and watched how he interacts with some of the other players. And it's first class. And, and I likened it to Gary Speed when Gary Speed was, was my captain for Wales. The most humble guy you'll ever see in your life, whether you were you know, somebody coming from the Premiership or whether you were Robert Page coming from Watford in the Championship, you were treated exactly the same. And Sober Thomas, who I was just introduced to the squad in, in October, you know, he's living his dream at this moment in time. He was playing for Boreham Wood two years ago. Now he's playing championship football with Huddersfield and getting a lot of great reports. And international football with Gareth Bale, he admitted is his, is his idol. And to see Bale talking to him, he was, he was like in awe of him, you know? And it was really nice, really nice moment. And, uh, and that's what football is all about. Um, and, and they're great stories. It's what it's like for the NEFA coaches when they come in and work with me and Spencer, Rob. It's very similar. Sorry, it's, I didn't mean to laugh there. Uh, no, it's, this, this, it's, it's, it's the feedback I've wrote myself. It's all night, Rob, to be fair. <laughs> we, we do write our own feedback though Spencer we've got to stop that we've got to stop that <laughs> Rob something you, you, you mentioned uh, when we spoke previously and during the conversation you know, the Welsh way you, do you want to give us a bit more of an insight about you know, what the Welsh way is and in particular I know we spoke previously about when new players come into the camp for the first time well I mean you know it's not um, revolutionary Spence, it's not sort of, you know, something I'm going to blow your minds with. It's just something that we have as a, as a morals, key principles, with and without the ball, that we want to implement in all age groups. So like I said earlier, you know, when you're out on that pitch, there's a group of supporters that are really proud of you for what you've, what you've done. You can't guarantee wins. What we say to the younger players is you can't guarantee wins, but what you trust in the process, trust in what the coaches are telling you. And, and the result will look after itself. But you have to give the fundamentals, which are hard work. You have to outrun, you have to you know, outwork the opposition. And we know you've got, you've got talent because you wouldn't be in the changing room if you haven't got the talent. Um, and then you, you inevitably go on and if you're consistent in your levels of performance, you'll go on and win more games than you lose. Um, we do deliver some, some key principles. 
with them without the ball, like I said. So the biggest thing for us is being on the front foot. We don't want, you know, defenders retreating. We call it, we spoke about language that you use consistently across all the borders. So ours is rest defence. So as defenders, we are most vulnerable when we've got the ball. So we want we want our defenders to organise the rest defence. So if, if the ball gets cleared, our next line is anticipating and, and pressing higher up the pitch as opposed to retreating to protect the goal. The natural thing for young defenders is to press, is to defend the goal. Inevitably, the top players, the better players you play against in European football will hurt you, even from the halfway line. If you get back into a shape at times, they'll still find that pass because they've got willing runners in behind. So defensive principles slightly changed. Attacking principles, we want penetrative runs in behind. We want the threatening behind. doesn't matter where you are on the pitch. We need those runs in behind and, and in turn when you've got the pace that we've got in Daniel James and yeah. and, and you know and, and Baylor and Aaron and the clever runs of Aaron, you know, you, you stretch teams. And then in turn then you create the space for the clever players like Aaron and, and, and Harry Wilson and you know and Joe Allen and Joe Morrell to exploit. So it's um it's it's just drilling those into them from from an early age, irrespective of who you are. They are our principles in how we want to go about our work. And that applies from, from the under-17s all the way up. So they're the principles for the nation, uh, or do they change a bit for the 17s, 19s? No, they, they, we're pretty consistent in, in what we do. So we've, I've yeah. organised now today, um, I've been in touch with our technical director and he's organised a meeting for the 10th of December where we'll, we'll go down and I'll deliver what, what i done in, the, in the, the two senior games. The reasons behind it, because I tweaked the formation slightly in the, in the Belgian game to what I did in the, in the Belarus game. Uh, one because of personnel, but secondly because of the the importance of the game and and a different outcome that we needed. We needed to go fast against Belarus and, and get as many goals as we could against Belgium. You're not going to create that many chances, so we needed to be a little bit more disciplined in our defending. And um, and I'll go and deliver that with the with the other coaches. Show them what I, I found that Belgium done would cause cause us problems. And if we can learn from that and implement that in the younger age groups. You know, our principles are important, but the team formation and shape, I, we give every coach license to do what they want with that. You know, they don't have to play the same as the first team. The under-21s, you'd probably like yeah. to implement the, the same the same formation if possible, because um, because you're one step away from going in there. But in the main, as long as the key principles are there in how you want to play with and without the ball, then that step up should be should be quite smooth. Is that something that has been different for you being a national team uh, environment, when you're at Vale, Northampton, do you have any dialogue down to the academy like, right, I want you all to play this way? No, the reserves. It was the old reserves, wasn't it? Yeah. The 23s. The 23s, maybe. But again, you're dictated to by, by personnel, right? Yeah. You know, it's pointless dictating that you've got to play 3-5-2 if you've got two out-and-out wingers. Yeah. You know, so you've got to be able to adapt as well and... and Ideally, in an ideal world, you would want your reserves or your under-23s playing a similar style. It's the principles that remain, isn't it? People can adapt around that, like I said, giving the coaches license. Uh, and, and the word that um, you was there, Robert, and we spoke about a bit earlier, is language. So, you know, it's really important that, you know, we're speaking the same language because we know in football there's loads of subjectivity and coaches make words up to describe the same thing and it can be a bit confusing for players sometimes, especially going from club to club. How do you do that, Wales? That you're using you know, a similar kind of language as a coaching team. So we, we create like a, a coach's catalogue that spends. So it's you know any session, any any opposition that we've come up against. This is why this this meeting is important on the, the 10th of December. So everybody will have been out on camp 
we all come back in, we deliver what we found. So if you played against Holland, the press was a three instead of a two. What was the difficulties? Did we end up getting out in build-up because of the way they pressed? Um, and then each coach will have 10, 15 minutes then delivering that back to all the, all the coaches. So if we ever come up against that again in future, then you know it's there as a catalogue we can refer back to and have a look. Um, important with the sessions as well and, and get that the language that we use then. So if we want to switch play, we call it invest. So it's like, you know, you need to invest two or three times to move the opposition, get them out and ball speed is important to do that as well. As long as you're consistent with that language throughout, then it's, it just makes things easier. How do you get that over to, to, to the players as well? Do the players physically see the terminology and share that with them in a physical form as well? Or Yeah, we, we, we do a lot of meetings, as you can imagine. So yeah. a lot of it is, is video-based as well. And, and I think when you're consistent in, in the message, when you're watching the clips and you show good practice of it, so if we show, show us investing quite a bit and then, and then a good outcome at the end of it, you know, as long as you're consistently saying that term, then the message gets across to them and, and they understand it. And do you find that the players, you know, drink that are using the, those terms as well and that's how they're referring to things? Yeah, inevitably then, Spence, yeah, they'll, they'll start using the same terminology, you know, so it's, uh, it's consistent against across the board. Yeah. Yeah. In Welsh? In Welsh or in English? In Welsh, yeah. In Welsh, okay. Oh, no, 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 in English. <laughs> in English, yeah. When he said that, Rob, I thought he was going to break out into some Welsh. We tried that a bit no, earlier. No, 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 no. That. We'll that, was, that was all, that was just for the rehearsal, that, that, uh, that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, just listening through the players there now, you know, like I mentioned before, you know, Wales have always had, you know, good players, you know, some players always operating at, at, at top, at top clubs. There really does seem to be some sort of consistency with calibre of players that that you've got at, at your disposal. And you mentioned the, the 21s and, and the 19s. I mean, what's the feeling in, in, internally at the uh, you know the association? You know, in terms of what really can be achieved, say you know over the, over the lifetime of this group. You know, the next the next couple of major major tournaments. Is it you know are you, are you thinking in a real sort of positive way about really pushing the nation as a football force forward? Yeah, I think we've, we've never been in a good, such a good place at the minute, you know, to get a playoff first time since 1958. Yeah. Um, to win the Nations League, to, to get out the group stages in, in the Euros with some tremendous performances from the players, you know, albeit the, the one little defeat against Italy that got us through the, to the knockout stages was an unbelievable performance again yeah. um, and, and tactically we'll go into more detail later on no doubt but we had to, we had to tweak it slightly to what we really wanted to do um, the Turkey game for me was a big highlight as well uh, the level of performance to, to win the game 2-0 and, and could have scored more potentially you know was was a great a great game and and when you're successful like that Ryan and you and you you're qualifying for major tournaments you become more appealing then especially to the mm. dual nationality players as yep. well you know? so yeah it, and then they come in and inevitably they see the environment and, and they won't go back. I'll use, you know, David Brooks as, a, as an example and, and everybody, no doubt, on this chat tonight, we'll wish him all the best for us. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Brooksy was, I spoke to Brooksy uh, five years ago, four years ago now, when I first took the job. And my first job was to go to Toulon with the under-20s, under-21s. And he'd already committed to England. And I said, look, no problem. Go and enjoy the tournament. Just promise you a chance. Just give us... I knew, I knew once we had him, we'd, 
didn't want to go back. Yeah. And he got player of the tournament in Toulon. He was outstanding. Um, and I was a little bit disappointed with that. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit <laughs> Um, I took him to Switzerland and Portugal. The first two away games were Switzerland and Portugal. We beat Switzerland 3-0 and he scored one of the best goals I've ever seen. Then as usual, you know, he, he squared the full-back up. The full-back thought he had him. He changed gear yep. and, uh, and went past him, chipped the goalkeeper and we were all stood on the side like that. Wow, yeah. this lad, we're not going to keep him as a, mm-hmm. as a 21s. And, uh, and I phoned Chris Coleman straight away and said, this, this kid's special. He's absolutely special. He's he's too good for us. We're going to lose him. Like so, you best. He's 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 one of your boys, and uh, and and he did. We had a conversation, and like I said, when he was in that environment, there was no way he was going to go back. And he, he absolutely loved it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's important creating the environment. So I would imagine it's quite a challenge as well, isn't it? Sometimes with the dual nationality players, Rob. I mean, you know, what is your approach? Is it that personal approach? You know, for for somebody like yourself in your position to to make contact after the initial contact's been made. Yeah, it's it's important to have that contact. It's important to make them feel special. You know, every every human being, let alone professional footballer, likes to be likes to know they're doing all right. Um, but like I said, it's it's then getting them on board and getting them in, in the environment and and if it can make us better and and they come in and experience what we're all about and win, winning games as well in 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 that environment, then it's a tick tick. You know, and that's why we continue to, to keep getting these these players in. Um, so yesterday, Rob, was it the home record? Uh, I think your son had, uh, he was chatting to you about it, wasn't he? I mean, quite phenomenal, really, uh, the home record of Wales in the last few years. Yeah, the home record. That, that's why Spencer was important for us to get that second spot. You know, we listen, there's no guarantees. We know that. We're not, we're not naive in thinking that. We're not going to be blasé about it, certainly not. But mm. to get that home draw, the home tie, um, and the draws next this Friday, so... To get that is really important for us because we know with that crowd behind us, that crowd on, on Tuesday night was phenomenal. 32,000 supporters, the anthem. I'm in a, priv- I'm in a privileged position because I'm 20 metres away from the opposing players. And I witnessed both Belarus and Belgian players stand in awe when the Welsh public sang that anthem because they, they play the music for the first line and then they stop the music and the, the, the supporters take over and the fans just, the, the players just, stand there like that as if to say he's really singing this it's unbelievable so yeah the, the, the home record is there for everybody to see it's it's a phenomenal record goals scored goals conceded clean sheets it's brilliant and uh, and yeah the, the players deserve an enormous amount of credit for that absolutely Fantastic. I think it just shows the influence that the fans have yeah as well and, yeah uh, definitely uh, I was uh, doing a bit of England walk in football recently. We played against Wales, and uh, you know, those English were singing our national anthem, and uh, a few of the Welsh were sniggering away at us, and it's a bit off. And uh, and then they sang theirs, and we, we understood why. Unbelievable. Uh, this is England walking football over 70s, proper belting it out, and they beat us as well, which was. I, I think it's a, I think it's a really important point, though, Rob, isn't it? Because there was a bit of a sort of lull, wasn't there, in terms of the interest of the Welsh public with the national side? Um, you know, when the, when the game sort of moved away to, uh, you know, obviously not the Millennium Stadium, crowds hadn't been fantastic. So, I mean, that's real sort of evidence, really. It's not only results, but how the Welsh public has got involved and because in Wales there is a genuine battle isn't there between the two major sports for who's gonna who's gonna be the number one sport in the nation I mean that's only for Welsh sport isn't it yeah absolutely and, and 
I'm a Welsh, I'm a Welsh fan throughout whatever, whatever, whatever sport it is. I just want Wales to do well in general, and that's it. Yeah. And I went to watch the rugby. Wales played Fiji the day after we played on the Sunday, I think it was. And there was 60,000, 63,000 there maybe yeah. in the Millennium Stadium. But you know the atmosphere was great. Don't get me wrong. But the thirty-two thousand that we had on the Saturday night in Cardiff yeah. City Stadium, that was rocking. Like I've yeah. never experienced it before. You know, and I think it was all the frustration maybe of being in lockdown and, and that that little bit of edge to it as well, where we needed to get the point. And the importance they knew that they had to play to help the players cross the line. That helped with the atmosphere as well. Mm. But you're right. Yeah, it's it's always been. Is it rugby? Is it football? And mm. so whatever team's winning. They just want the teams to do well, and and that's certainly out there. Because not only have we have we been winning games of football, but certainly against Belgium, I thought the performance was was first class, and and we were taking the game to them. You know, we were pressing tonight, and we looked like we were going to go on and win it at the end. So when you're playing attractive football and winning games, that's it's a good recipe. And, and have you had have you had any dialogue or anything to do with the union guys? Have you got to meet the coaches there? Have you? Is there any sort of shared knowledge going on between the two codes? Yeah, we've we've last I think it was last summer we were invited down to watch a training session, and uh, and and there was a tent to the left hand side, enclosed tent, so I couldn't see in it. And I was stood with the coaches on the side, and and Alan Wynne Jones ran out of this tent, and I jumped out of my skin. He is a <laughs> he is a giant, yeah, man mountain, and the intensity that they train at is phenomenal. You know, and you can see why there's tear-ups every day in training because inevitably you're going to catch somebody with a with an elbow, or, and and you can see how it's that physical. But the trainers they play, you know, yeah. there's no there's no half measures. It's it's all in, and he drives that. And uh, yeah, there's there's dialogue back and forth with the coaches. We we do see each other. We stay in the same hotel, and, and we did recently when they played Fiji. And um, yeah, every now and again we'll have the odd conversation. So yeah, it's nice to to share things like that. Very good. Very good. Right, well, that's the end of the first half um, of the webinar. As always, um, Rob has got his own question uh, for you guys. So during the break, during the comfort break, have a little think. Please drop your answers into the chat box um, on this. And the question, Rob, uh, it wants to ask you is, as coaches, you want to be the Best team to play a certain formation. So you're, you're always going to stick to your guns. You're always going to play the same formation. And it's all about being the very, very best team in that formation. Or are you going to be willing to adapt and move your formation depending on the circumstances in front of you? So have a little think about that. Drop your answers into the chat box during the next five minutes. And we will come back just before 20 past eight. So see you very shortly.